Morning, Hagerstown Church, and happy Lord's Day. Uh, it's great to be gathering with you in some form or fashion. I hope that you're with your life group right now. Again, if you're not with your life group, uh, we'd love to get you plugged into a life group, even though uh, things are a little bit uh, scattered at the moment and we don't really have a normal anymore. We still want to help you get plugged into community. And so uh, please message us uh, directly through uh, one of our uh, accounts here on Facebook or if you're on YouTube, you can reach out to us at hagerstownchurch.org or you can reach out directly to us um, by at josh at hagerstownchurch.org. We'd love to get you plugged into a life group. Um, this is a great opportunity for you during this time to be worshiping together with uh, a portion of the Lord's church. Um, but I want to tell you something. The day is getting closer every single day to where we'll be able to meet again face-to-face where we'll pray the word, sing the word, and preach the word together uh, in the presence of one another. That's going to be an awesome opportunity. And let me say this. It's not just getting closer. It's next week. That's right. June 7th, Hagerstown Church is going to begin meeting again in person, physically. So we're entering into step number four. And so this is our our fourth step in our process of reopening Hagerstown Church. We opened up life groups uh, this past week. We opened up D groups the week before. And uh, now this coming Sunday on June 7th, we will open up um, our physical gathering of the church together. Now, as you are probably aware, the schools are still closed, and so we will not be able to meet at Pangborn. But here's the good news. God has provided a space for us to begin to use for the foreseeable future. You say, well, when are we going to be back in the school? I, I don't know that right now. Obviously, uh, there are so many things that we don't know, and, and, uh, and, and, but what, what we do know is that God has provided this space for us. And so I'm going to invite you to make plans to join us, whether you're a member of Hagerstown Church, whether you're just tuning in for a second, or whether somebody invites you uh, outside of this. I want to invite you to join Hagerstown Church on Potomac. So 6 South Potomac Street at 1030, June 7th. I hope to see you there. Come a little bit earlier, and uh, we'll spend some time uh, mingling with one another and spending time uh, just in, in, encouraging and, and, and social distancing a little bit. As you consider the, the meeting with us um, I want to speak to concerns centered around COVID-19. And, and uh, when you think about when we meet, I want you to know that Pastor Tim and I are thinking about our gathering with three terms. One term that we're considering is clean. So we want the space to be clean. We'll make sure that the space is, is clean before and after. We'll even have to be taking some measures during to make sure that we're clean. We're also taking steps um, to make sure that it's comfortable and so that not just that it's comfortable for us to sit, but that we're comfortably separated and, and distanced from one another and so that we don't have to worry too much about uh, exchanging germs and things like that. And so we're, we're working towards uh, clean, we're working towards comfortable, but we're also, remember this, that we're thinking through this in a very cautious way. And so we want to love our neighbors, we want to love each other um, by uh, caring for one another and protecting each other's health. And so clean comfortable and cautious. Those are the things that were uh, the, the, the terms that we're using to think through our gathering there at Hagerstown Church on Potomac. And so I hope that you make plans to be there. I couldn't be more excited. Pastor Tim is as well. And we're praying that the Lord will uh, will, will bring that uh, as we plan that he'll bring that to pass. And so hope to see you there. But we're not there yet. So this Sunday we are uh, back in Mark chapter 3. I want to invite you to get your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 13 to 19. So Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 19. One of the things that you'll probably know about this passage, if you've, if you've read it recently, we've been going through it with our uh, here journals in the uh, New Testament uh, in 2020. So we recently just read this as a church, 
And you might say, well, there's not a whole lot to get out of here. It's basically just some historical information about who the Lord's disciples were and more specifically who the apostles were. There is some really interesting stuff that uh, I want to bring out for you this morning that we can see some of the principles about how God deals with uh, his people and how the kingdom of God actually works. And as well, we'll actually take a little bit of a more in-depth look at what, who the disciples were, who the, I'm sorry, who the apostles were and what they actually mean to us. And so if you've got your copy of God's Word, let's look together and read verse 13 down to 19 in Mark chapter 3. This is what it says. And he went up on the mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the, gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boerganus, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. I ask God to bless the reading of his word. Let's, let's pray together. God, this really is our desire this morning. We've set this time aside to hear from you. And so we pray as we open your word, as we look to it, as we fix our eyes on it, that we would see you, Jesus, that we would glorify you, even in the details here, even in this historical information, we pray that you would encourage your church, Father. You know far greater than I that we need to be encouraged. Father, we need to be corrected. We need to be admonished. God, we pray that your spirit would quicken us. And as we look at your word this morning, that this word would speak to us. God, we pray that you would use um, me this morning during this time in Hagerstown Church amongst these saints. We ask it in the name of Jesus and for his glory alone. Amen. As we look at this text this morning, we'll walk through it. We'll pick out some key words, I'll point out some things. But the main thing that I, I think that you would benefit from seeing this morning, and really the main thing that I think the text is, 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 is surfacing for us, is this statement here. This is our main point. It's really two smaller points put together, but here it is. The chosen are called, and the called will be sent. The chosen are called, and the called will be sent. So let's break that down this morning into the two points, and let's look at the first one. The chosen are called. Look back at verse 13. It says, And he went up on the mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. Let's Let's look at that word specifically, desired. It's very important to notice that Jesus' desire preceded their calling up the mountain, that, that his calling to them to come up the mountain. The fact that he desired them, it preceded the calling. And by this time, we can see in the text that there's quite, quite a stir. There's no small entourage that's following after Jesus. And so there's a, a large number of, of people. Jesus, Luke tells us, he goes up on the mountain the, day, the night before, rather, and he prays all night. When he gets done praying, he desires that the 12 apostles that haven't been named apostles yet, but that 12 of these disciples, that they come up to the top of the mountain and meet Jesus there. And so he desired that they come. And, and I think it's very important that you recognize that the desire in Jesus, the impetus, the, what started this whole thing was that Jesus desired them to come up the mountain. And so not only did he desire them, but he called them. Look at that word called. It, it's, it's interesting. It's, 
the Greek word that's translated as church, it's from the same from the same root, which is ekklesia. That's the that's the word for for church. But it's actually, I'm sorry, its root is actually um, kaleo, and so kaleo is the root for ekklesia. Ek, ek uh, means out, you know, exit to to get out. And so ek exit. Uh, that's that's out, but then the kaleo or ekklesia, um, that is where we get the the word of call. And so church simply means called out. It means a group of people who are called out. Um, and so it's very interesting here that Jesus calls the disciples. And uh, what happens here is that the invisible church, the, the true church, it's composed of those who are called out by God, not only outwardly, but inwardly by the Holy Spirit. You see, the, the Holy Spirit calls us to himself. And so when Jesus calls someone to discipleship, he's calling that person to himself, to belong to him, to follow him, and to, to learn from him, and, and to learn of him. And so it's interesting that he called these disciples to himself. The, the, the statement that we're looking at right now, that, that, that the chosen are called, demonstrates to us that it, it began with Jesus, not with the disciples. The disciples weren't looking to be apostles. The disciples weren't even looking to be disciples necessarily when Jesus called them to himself. And so here's the point. You cannot choose to be chosen. You can't choose to be chosen. Jesus desired and then chose the 12. He desired and he chose and then called subsequently the apostles. So you can't choose to be chosen. That's not how it works. And, and really, this is a principle that we see really ever-present on every level within the kingdom of God. That you cannot choose to be chosen. You cannot choose to be chosen. Romans 8, really speaking about not the call to apostlehood, or really even the call to discipleship, but ultimately the call to salvation. That's the context in Romans 8, but it says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so this is a beautiful passage here that demonstrates the same principle that we're talking about. That God does the choosing. That God does the working. And so Jesus desired that these 12 become apostles. And then, after his desire, then came the call. And so I think really it would be helpful for us just to park there just for a moment. We're moving quickly through this. We're not going to spend a ton of time here, but I want you to be encouraged by that. If you're a Christian this morning, you need to know this, that God called you. The Bible teaches that no one seeks after God, that we've all gone our own separate way, and that we wouldn't, in a sense, seek after God had he not first sought us, had he not first loved us, had he first not desired us. And so this is a beautiful principle here. These apostles didn't choose to be apostles. They didn't fight to be uh, the, the best of the best. No, they were chosen by God. They were chosen by God. In our best days, we can think that that God chose us and that we, because we somehow deserve him or that our merit has earned this, our good deeds. But on our worst days, we're reminded that he, knowing our frame, 
He knows our weakness full well, and he chose us. That's something I've needed to rest in this week, in my weakness, in my stumbling, in my selfish attitude, in my sin. I think I'm not worthy, and yet he chose me. He chose me. If you're a Christian this morning, he chose you as well. What a gloriful, a glorious truth for us to be nourished by. And so, the called, or the, the, the chosen are called. But not only are the chosen called, but we also see in this text that the called will be sent. The called will be sent. Look at verse 14. It says, And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they may be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. One of the key words in, in this verse, verse 14, is appointed. I love this verse, or that, that, that word. The ESV says that he appointed 12, but in the Greek, it says, it actually uses a little bit of a different um, verb, and it says he made, it, it actually leans to, toward the, the rendition of he made 12. And so to appoint is to choose from an existing set, but to make would mean to bring into existence. And, and here's why I think Mark used the word made, because it's the same word that's used in the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek copy of the Old Testament. It's the same word there in Genesis 1.1 where God creates the heavens and the earth. It's the same one. I believe what Mark's intending for us to see is he's intending for us to have recalled in our minds this line in Genesis. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. And he's signifying, in a sense, I believe that the 12 are a new creation. There's something different about them that he's starting, in a sense, over. On a similar note, we won't spend a ton of time here, but on a similar note, I want you to realize that there's 12 apostles. Why? Well, there's. did you notice also that there's 12 tribes of Israel. Now, that's more than just a, a coincidence. I, I believe that it's a sign that God has rejected the religious rulers of that day. He's re rejected the scribes and the, and the Pharisees and even uh, the, the, the whole system of Judaism. And he's ushered in a new covenant. And the 12 apostles are a representation of uh, something new taking place, this new covenant. More, we'll talk more on that later as we, as we go on through the, the gospel of Mark. But I think that's interesting for us to know. God appointed the 12. He created the 12. And so look, you need to know this. Discipleship, apostleship, Christianity, it's, it's not about what you can do for God. It's about what God can make of you. Christianity is not about what you can do for God. It's about what God can make of you. Now, when God remakes you, as he remakes you, is, is, there, is it incumbent upon you to do? Yes, of course. But just as the stars that were made by God, his son that rises on the evil and the just, it does what it was created to do. It does what it was made or appointed to do. So there is a responsibility on us. But know this, that God is making. He is making all things new. And he, if you're a believer this morning, he is making you new. Just apart for a moment. You need to find courage in that. You need to find comfort in that. 
This may be in a rough week for you. You might be looking back over the, this, the, the burnt, crispy, charred uh, ruins of, 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 of your life. But know this, that even in your sin, even in your mistakes, that God is still working in your heart. He is still sanctifying you. He is still remaking you. He's still doing a work in you. And so take heart in that. He won't give up. Others may give up. You may even be tempted to give up on yourself. But know this, that God is not giving up. Maybe that sounds encouraging to you. Maybe that sounds really attractive to you. To Maybe you're listening to this for the first time. You stumbled upon this website. Somebody shared it. You clicked it. You're here right now at this exact moment. You need to hear this maybe. That that opportunity for you to be remade, that God would do a work in your heart and make you new and take away your desires to, to do the things that are destroying you and, and not pleasing to him and sin against him, that God can and he will do that work in your heart. He can. Would you turn from your sin? And would you turn to Jesus this morning? I'd love to chat with you about what that would look like. But let's keep going. You can message us here in the comments. You can message me directly. I'd love to, to hear from you. But let's keep going. Discipleship, apostleship, Christianity, it's not about what God, uh, you can do for God, but it's what God can make of you. That's a beautiful truth. These 12 men, you need to know, I don't want to overemphasize this, but they're just 12 ordinary men. If you could go into the Wayback Machine and land there, maybe just a, a few years before Jesus and his ministry, you wouldn't know much. As you spent time uh, combing Israel and Capernaum and the whole area of Galilee, you wouldn't know much about Peter. You wouldn't know much about James and John. You'd probably never heard of, hear of them. If you asked the people there, like, who's the most important? Who's the, who, are the, who are the cream of the crop, the creme de la creme? Who are they? Well, I don't think you'd hear about these guys. They were just ordinary, no-name dudes. And yet God takes them. Jesus takes them. We're, nobody expected much of them. Look what he does through them. He appointed them. He appointed them for what they would were to do. Well, let's move on. My, my favorite word, I think, in this whole passage that we just read is this next word that we'll look at, and that's with. So if, you, if, you're, if you're not paying attention to anything I'm saying, if you're just, uh, just coming, coming to a consciousness just here, uh, write this down, circle this in your text if you write in your Bible, with, in verse 14, so that they might be with. Him. I love that word. It's beautiful. Why? Jesus is calling these 12 to be with him. These men, they would live with Jesus. They would travel with him. They would talk with him. Late night talks around the fire. Early morning breakfast, coffees as the sun rises. They're there with him. They would learn from him. Wouldn't that be great? We, we have that same offer to us as, as Christians to, to be with him, but I love the language. I love the picture. I love what it means that these 12 would be with Jesus. As I thought about this idea of being with Jesus and the apostles uh, being sent from Jesus, I, this thought came to me. In order to be sent from Jesus, you must be with Jesus first. Let me say that again. This, this would be worth writing down. In order to be sent from Jesus... You must be with us, with Jesus. We say it another way around here. We say you can't take someone where you've never been. These apostles, they would be sent out with this message. They'd be sent out with the gospel message. They'd be sent out with a task to do. And they would not be able to fulfill that task had they not been with Jesus first. We've talked about this before here at Hagerstown Church, but I want to say it again. This is so good 
for me to hear, to be reminded of, and I'm sure that it will be for you. Fathers, you can't lead your children to where you've never been. Mothers, you can't do it. Brother, you can't disciple somebody in an area where you have not been. So as you think about what God has called you to do, recognize this. We are called to Jesus first. And these men, they would not be equipped. Part of the appointment, part of that making was this word here, being with Jesus. In order to be sent from Jesus, you must be with Jesus. It's been said that discipleship is a relationship before it's a task. It's a relationship before it's a task. In other words, it's a who before a what. It's a who before a what. It's Jesus before the task. You know, it's common for us to say something like this. I'm not with him. I, I, I'm not with him. Or I, I am with him. I recently spoke with one of the members of Hagerstown Church, and they told me that they asked their spouse to, to purchase for them a MAGA hat. And I got tickled at that. But they want to wear that hat. I suppose that they want to identify with Trump. They want to identify with their president. And good for them. Some people would say, I, I want to wear a t-shirt that says, I'm not with him. But either way, if you think about the way this word is used here, it's not in the exact same way. But the idea that when Jesus says, they are to be with me, he wants to, uh, to them to not just be with them physically, not just to spend time with them, but then to be with him theologically. For them to be on the same page, and not to distance themselves publicly, but to be present with him physically and present with him theologically. And we know that the apostles were. I, I think of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. We'll reference this in a minute, but it says, The apostles and the prophets is what the church is built on. They're like the bedrock of the church, the apostles and the prophets, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what's interesting is it says that these two buttress up, they, they connect with and they find their aim and fulfillment in Christ who is the cornerstone. And so we know that the apostles, no doubt, were with Jesus theologically. I hope that you are as well. That's the call for us this morning. We're not called to be apostles, but as disciples, we are called to be with Jesus, both physically and theologically. How do we know? Well, if we're on par, if we're in agreement with the apostles, they are in agreement with Jesus himself. And so let me ask you this question. Are you with Christ? Are you with Christ? It's only possible that you be with Christ theologically or even physically if you are with his word. If you are with his word. This past week, I met with uh, my D group, and we had the opportunity um, and the privilege to to quote to each other the almost the entire first uh, f well the first forty six verses, almost the entire chapter of Matthew chapter five. You say, what's the point in that? Why would you do that? Well, this is an exercise that we wanted to do together. We agreed to do it. It's been it's been very rewarding for us. But here's here's the thing that got us uh, focused on that. These are the very words of Jesus. Now, the entire word of God, all 66 books, that is the word of God. But here, th this is interesting. These 46 verses that we have committed to memory, that we, we said to one another, as they came off of our lips, that was the word of God. And so how do we know Jesus? How do we 
align ourselves with Jesus theologically? How do we learn from him? How do we watch him? How do we see him? Well, we can go to his word. That's a wonderful discipline. I, I, I know that it's been a place that I've been weak in in the past, but as your pastor, I want to encourage you uh, to follow uh, me in a sense as we, and my D group, as we pursue the Lord through his word. One of the greatest ways we can do that is by memorizing it. And so it's been a privilege for me. I hope that you consider that. But think about that word, with Jesus. With Jesus. There's a temporal sense to that with. The disciples, they spent quite a bit of time with Jesus. A little less than three years, day in, day out, following around, learning from him, observing from him. That's a privilege that we have. It's a need that we have on a daily basis that we be with Jesus. There's another word that I want us to think about this morning. It's also there in that same verse, verse 14. And it's this word, send. Send. Now, of course, Jesus, he had a further purpose for the disciples. They, he, he didn't just call them to himself so that they could hang out with him, but he called them to himself so that at a, a, a point in time in the future that he could send them out to preach and to minister. Of course, there was a message to preach. There were those who needed to be ministered to. So that's the purpose of Jesus calling them to himself. Now, here, you might want to write this down. This is something really interesting. Anytime Jesus says, come to me, as soon as we come, the come turns to go. The come is trans, transferred into a go. And so Jesus calls his disciples to himself, and then he sends them out. We, when we come to Jesus, he gives us a mission, and we are to go into the world, and we're to make disciples. Now, we are not apostles. You need to know that. Say that with me. I'm not an apostle. You're not an apostle. If you're listening to this, I don't know who you are. You're not an apostle. But we are disciples. And when Jesus calls us as disciples to himself, soon he calls us then to go, and he sends us. And so when we come to him, he gives us this mission, and we're to go into the world, and we're to make disciples. And as we carry out that mission, we need to know this. He continues to be with us. And I'm not suggesting that we are apostles. You, you, I just said that. Not in the least sense. We're not apostles. But we have been sent. And so regardless of the specific nature of the call, whether it's discipleship, whether it's evangelism, whether it's pastoring, whatever it is, the call first to, from Jesus is to come to him, to be with him, and then it's to go. So now this is a specific account. We need to know that. Let's, let's, let's zoom in. This is a specific account of Jesus choosing his apostles from the group of disciples. That he chooses the 12. And from it, we've, we've observed some principles that are active and at play in almost I can, every area of the, the kingdom of God that I can think of. Particularly in salvation. And I know in discipleship. And here it is in apostleship as well. And so that's encouraging. It's helpful for us to look at these principles that, that, the, that our God operates by in his kingdom. But if that's all we do, if we just walk away with some encouraging, just being reminded that Jesus desired us and he called us to himself, and then that this call to come is then exchanged for a call to go, if that's where we leave this passage, then we've made a mistake. And so let's not do that. There's a little bit more that I want for us to look at this morning. Specifically, I want to look at this idea of an apostle. What is an apostle? Well, it literally means sent one. 
And so in a sense, there are, uh, there are ways that we could say, hey, I'm an apostle, you're an apostle, in the sense that God, that Jesus himself, has sent us through the Great Commission, that he has sent us with a message. But that's not what's being, that's not the way this word is used. This is the twelve, and the apostle, and the role of an apostle is a literal, literal role that you can have in the church. Okay? And so that, that exists in the church, I should say. And so the form of this word in our passage is a noun, okay? Right? It's a noun. It's an, an apostle. But the verb form of that word, apostle, it means to commission or to send with a purpose. To send with a purpose. Okay? And so that's just what Jesus is doing here. He, he chooses 12 of his disciples for a specific purpose. And that's where the name apostle comes from. That's why. And so as we close, I, I really want to just ask two questions about uh, apostles. And it's pretty simple. This won't, won't take much for you to follow along with me, I don't think. And so what are they and what are they not? That's it. That's all we're going to look at this morning as we consider the role of an apostle. What are they and what are they not? And so first, what are they? Last week we saw what uh, I termed a midterm, which I recognize that makes uh, some of you break out into a cold sweat because you're considering the fact that I might be testing you. That's not what it is. The midterm it was just a summary of Jesus' ministry to date. Thus far, checking in, where is he? But what was he doing? What was he doing? Well, it tells us that he was preaching, he was healing, he was casting out demons. Well, we know that Jesus came from Mark chapter 1. We know that Jesus came to preach. He, he came to call people to repent and to place their faith in his ministry, in his sacrifice. But then he would cast out demons and he would heal. And here's why he would do that, because it demonstrated his authority. It, it set him apart from all other teachers. So not just the fact that when he spoke, he had this sense of weightiness and authority in his speech because it made sense and it, it burned in people's hearts as they heard it. But more than that, he authenticated his message by the works that he did, which was casting out demons and healing people. So that's what we see Jesus doing. Well, what are the apostles to do? Well, they're to go in the same authority and with the same power that Jesus had come with. So Jesus chooses his 12 and he teaches them. He trains them. He appoints them. He makes them into apostles. And then he sends them out with the same authority. They're to proclaim a new, unique message with, a, with authority to the entire world. And so here's what we know about what they are. Well, in order to be an apostle, you had to be called by Jesus. You had to be called by Jesus. What's more, you, you had to have been with Jesus during his ministry. And I would say, lastly, you had to have witnessed the resurrection. You had to have witnessed the resurrection. And so we can kind of deduce this because we see here in Mark chapter 3, Jesus calls the, 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 the apostles. Now, you might recognize, hey, there's the 12th apostle, Judas. And uh, this guy ended up, uh, it didn't turn out well for him. He, he betrayed Jesus. He ended up killing himself. And so then he was replaced in Acts. We read about him being replaced by Matthias. And so uh, you say, well, now there's, so now there's somebody replacing. When one dies, are they replaced? Well, that was a unique situation that Matthias replaced Judas because there needed to be the 12. And there still is the 12. They're the same 12 back then as they are today. It's the same 12. And so they were called by Jesus. They'd been with Jesus during his ministry. We all, again, we can authenticate that point by saying Matthias had been with Jesus during his ministry. And he witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. And so therefore, he was fit to become the apostle to take Judas's place. And so he was called by Jesus. He had been with Jesus during his ministry. And he was witnessed, or he witnessed Jesus's resurrection. And so these men, 
They're appointed by the risen Christ. They're enabled by the Holy Spirit, and they become witnesses to the saving work of Jesus Christ. Okay? But what remnant do we have of these men? What did they actually accomplish? Well, the, the Bible says that they turned the world upside down. Here we are in 2020, as messed up as it is. We still have the Word of God. We're gathering as the people of God, worshiping Him. Well, how do we even know about this God? How do we even, how do we even have uh, th this faith? Well, it has been delivered to us. And by who? It's been delivered to us by the apostles. Again, I referenced uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. I'm going to read a por portion of that this morning. It says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. It says this, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone, and whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a holy place for God by the Spirit. And so Paul paints for us a picture of the church. And he says it's a building founded upon the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, or the prophets and the apostles, rather. And it has Christ as the cornerstone. And so church, this is a reference for us today of the Bible the prophets are the Old Testament. Moses, a great prophet of the Lord, giving us a portion of the Old Testament. And many other prophets, Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah. These are prophets in the Old Testament speaking for us. And our faith is built on their testimony. And what's more, it says, it's also built on the, the apostles' testimony as well. Well, what's the apostles' testimony? Here we are this morning. Don't forget we're in the Gospel of Mark. And who was Peter, the Apostle Peter? Who was his protege? It was Mark. And what account is Mark sharing? Obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But what account is he sharing with us? Where did he get this information? From the Apostle Peter. And so he hears the stories. He hears the teaching. And he records it for us. This, this man, Mark. So we have the and, and that was the same way with the other writers as well of the, of the New Testament, including the Apostle Paul, who was one born out of due season. We won't mess with Paul much today, but he's another apostle who, with unique circumstances, fits the bill of, of an apostle, and he's sent by God for a unique calling. So much of the New Testament is founded or, or, is, or is written by the hand of the Apostle Paul, obviously, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But these two groups, the apostles and the prophets, they buttress together and they find their meaning and fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so the apostles, they had the authority and, and they also had the responsibility to accurately convey for us and to us what the Lord Jesus was saying. And so the New Testament, it is a testament. It is their testimony inspired by the, by the Holy Spirit. It is the word of God given to us and preserved. How? Through the apostles' teaching. And so what's the chief role of the apostle? It's the New Testament. That was the chief role to, to testify to what Jesus had done and to testify to his ministry. And so what are they? They are the sent ones. Who are they sent to? They're sent to us. And even today, we have their testimony. It's recorded for us. And so this is what they are. But what are they not? There's a lot here. There's a lot that they're not. And so I want to I want to get you, encourage you to get your pen out and, and begin to write these down. I'll, I'll go uh, as slow as necessary. Here, here it is. 
What are they not? Number one, they're not alive. And that's it. That's all you need to write down. What do, what do we know about the apostles? What are they not? They're not alive. Of course, they're not deity. They're not, they themselves are not inspired in any way. They, not everything that they would write would be, would be um, New Testament material. The Holy Spirit did use them, and their testimonies were sure. But what are they? They're not deity, and they're not alive. There's no one alive today. There are no modern-day apostles. There are so many cults, and, 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 and I guess you could maybe call them sects within Christianity that would claim that the apostles are, that there's a secession of the apostles, and that's just, it's just false. It's not true. They're gone. The role of the apostle is just, it doesn't exist anymore. Now, it, it was given to the church. It is a role, a unique role within the church created by God and given to the church for its benefit, but it's not the only one. And so you say, well, if there's no apostles today, if that is finished, the canon is closed, the apostle, uh, there's no more apostles that are being called, then what is God calling? How is God calling and equipping the, the saints and, and the church? Well, Ephesians 4, I'm glad you asked, Ephesians 4 speaks to that. In verses 11 through 14, it tells us exactly the answer to that question. It says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why? to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so, you need to know this. God gave apostles, he gave prophets, he gave evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. He gave all those for the equipping of the saints and for the building up of the body of Christ. But you need to know this too. He is not calling prophets and he is not calling apostles. He's not equipping the church through new apostles or new prophets. He is equipping the church he is calling evangelists and shepherd teachers. So I want to encourage you and just park here just for a moment as we come to a close. The church today needs to be equipped. It needs people who will come from inside the church and begin to equip the saints in a unique way. God has given, he is continuing to call, he's continuing to give to the church evangelists and shepherds and teachers. We already have the apostles and the prophets, but he is continuing to call as shepherds and teachers and evangelists to equip the saints and for building up the body of Christ. I'm so blessed and thankful that God has given uh, already a plurality of, of shepherd teachers here to Hagerstown Church. And so I'm thankful for Tim. I'm thankful that God has uh, called me as well to, to serve you as your pastor. But you need to know this. We need more. And not just do we need more here in Hagerstown Church, but the church at large, the universal church around the world, it needs, God is still calling, he is still equipping the saints and building up the body of Christ through fresh, new evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And so, I want to speak to you just for a moment. If you think this morning, there's a possibility that God is calling me to be an evangelist or to be, in a sense, a missionary. In some, in some field, maybe it's a foreign field, maybe it's local. But if you say, God is calling me to be an evangelist, a unique role within the church given to equip and to build up. If you think God is calling you, I would love to talk to you about that. Maybe you think God has called, maybe, maybe you're thinking, God's called me to be a pastor. I, I'm starting to sense that feel. There's this, there's this drawl in my heart. There's a desire. There's even been some affirmation of, of folks within the church that are saying, hey, you're gifted in this or you're gifted in that. And I could see you in this role. If that's beginning to happen in your life, I would love to chat with you and, and to see about how, how I could be an encouragement to you. I set this book aside 
This is a tool that we use here at Hagerstown Church to help people to determine uh, what it is that God is calling them to do. And so it's this question, it, it answers the question, am I called? And so I've got an extra copy of this. If you are interested in this, the first person to reach out to me, I'd love to send this to you or make it available to you. Um, it's called Am I Called? It's written by Dave Harvey, and it's a wonderful resource uh, to help you to determine in, in community whether or not God has called you to be an evangelist, a shepherd, or a teacher. But anyway, I'd love to chat with you about that. Again, you can direct message me or you can message me right here uh, in the comments. Um, because God is still calling evangelists. He is still calling shepherds and he is still calling teachers. And so I'd love to be an encouragement and a resource to you. Church, the, the 12 apostles, they had been called to Jesus to be with him. They'd been appointed and now they have this specific task. But so do you. You're not an apostle. But if you're a Christian this morning, you are a disciple. So he has called you to himself, but he has also sent you as well. And you, unlike the apostles, but not too dissimilar, you have a message to declare as well. And that message is the message of repentance. If, that, you know, if, you'll turn from their, if the people will turn from their sins and place their faith in Jesus and the work that he did in his death, burial, and resurrection, that they too can receive payment for their sins and be saved. That's our message. We're called to Jesus, and then we're sent. And so Hagerstown Church, the chosen are called, and the called will be sent. And in light of that, Hagerstown Church, you are sent.